And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, as I've prepared, would you please speak through me? God, would you let this message be relevant? Would you let it be new and fresh? Would you let it change people's lives? In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes and Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, <clears throat> and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his leg and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. If you're just joining us for the first time, either online or in person, uh, we're going through the book of 1 Samuel, and here we are in the story of David and Goliath. There's probably not many people that have been involved in church at any portion of their life that don't know the story of David and Goliath. Most people that have ever, even heard of us as Christians know the story of David and Goliath. It's, a, it's a, actually a pretty simple story. Uh, there's a big giant, and a little guy named David kills him. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> But I like to take my time when we're going through this stuff and let's, let's, let's learn a little bit more as we're going down the road instead of just jumping through to the story really fast. At this point in the story, this Goliath shows up and challenges Israel to fight once again. And it, this, this part of the story describes what he says and how he looks and what the challenge is. And it's setting the stage for this big, huge cosmic fight. And, and it really is just win and we'll become your servants, lose and you become ours. Goliath is this big, large, taunting enemy before Israel getting in their face. And this, make no mistake, this is a formidable foe. This, this guy is huge and he's got armor and he's ready to fight and it's going to cost Israel everything. They win this one, they win over the Philistines. They lose this one, they become their servants. They, they, they're gonna lose it all in this fight. It's very important for them to win this fight at all costs. It's worth the fight for them to fight this fight. See, when you're, when you're in the fight of your life, you're going through it and you must win at all costs. And I will tell you, if you are ever in a fight, you better win at all costs. You don't want to go halfway into it and think, well, maybe I'm going to believe uh, or maybe I'm going to make it. No, no, I've got to win at all costs. 
Now for us today, such it is for us with the Goliaths in our own life. We, we no longer have to, I mean, you, you don't have a, a nine foot giant that's outside in the parking lot saying, come against me, faith and victory. I defy you. Like it, it just doesn't look like that anymore. It's, it's not how it is. The, the Goliaths that we fight are, are more symbolic. The, the Goliaths that we fight are more spiritual, but they are no less important to beat and to win. You gotta fight, man. It is worth the fight. The Bible says that we need to fight the good fight of faith, that we need to fight the flesh, that we need to fight the devil. Folks, I tell you, you have got to fight. Because the immediate and eternal consequences are far too high. Quitting is not an option. These fights that you have to fight, if you lose this fight, it's going to cost you everything. It's not just merely going to become a slight annoyance. In Israel's life, it wasn't like, oh, we lose this battle, we get another chance. No, we lose this battle, we lose everything. We lose this battle, our lives will never be the same. I will tell you as your pastor, and you must know, I am fighting for you. Man, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for this church. I'm fighting for your spiritual lives. I'm fighting for your families. I want to see see you get across that line and experience victory. Even over the last few months at Faith and Victory, we've had a cult that has been trying to infiltrate our ranks. 100%. Not like, oh, a spirit. No, like full-blown cult. <clears throat> Reverend Sung Young, Reverend Sung Young Moon, this, they call them the Moonies. They're from Korea and they've been around f- since the 40s and 50s. And this couple has been coming to Wednesday night services over the last few months. And, you know, I'm nice to everybody and I love everybody. And, <laughs> and they just kind of like, you know, they're talking and the guy's got a really thick, uh, Korean accent. And so I just kind of smile and nod because I don't know what he's saying. And then one day he was like, I heard him say Sung Young Moon. I was like, what did you just say? He said, Sung Young Moon. I said, hold on, man. I don't want nothing to do with nothing having to do with Sung Young Moon. Because they're trying to get me to go to this conference, right? Because they figure they get the head, so goes the body. And so like, oh, we want you to go to this American Clergy Leadership Conference. And I'm like, nah, I'm not interested. And they're like, no, 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 we want you to go. I'm like, listen, man, if it has anything to do with this guy, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I'm like, why not? I said, because he's a cult leader. I said, and you guys are a cult. So don't bring that stuff in here. I want nothing to do with it. Thank you. Bye. And they kind of looked at me and turned around and they walked out the door. And then two weeks later, they showed up again. I'm like, what are you doing? So I, they're like, we want to have a meeting with him. I'm like, all right, you're going to get this meeting. It's, it's one thing to get me after service when I'm not, my brain's not firing. So then I spent, literally on my birthday, I spent like 10 hours studying out Sung Young Moon just so I could have, be ready for this fight. So I had a meeting with them a couple weeks ago, met over there in the office on a Wednesday. I, I wish I didn't get nearly as much enjoyment as I did about destroying these people's theology. <laughs> But man, it felt good to just like give it to him, man. I told him the first time they kept coming back. And then the, the end result was I said to him after, after, after we got into it, I said, listen, man, let me explain something to you. I don't ever want you to come back to this church ever again. And if you do, you have to come and find me and say, I've renounced this belief system. And if you don't, I'm going to stop service wherever we're at. I'm going to point you out. I'm going to tell everybody what you believe and tell no one to speak to you. Do you understand? And they were like, yes. 
And then they walked out. So I'm hoping they show up one Sunday. Because, man, that's going to be a fire Sunday. You're going you're gonna to want to be here that Sunday. But I'm done playing around. Like, I'm, I'm not going to let the enemy come in. Because here's the thing. Is that, man, the rabbit hole goes so deep. But there's been Christian pastors and churches that have been sucked in by these people. Because they don't come in and say, join our cult. They come in and say, oh, here, just take a little bit of this. And next thing you know, you're on your pathway to hell. 1 Timothy 6.12 says that we have to fight the good fight of faith. That we have to lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And it's not to say that these fights are not difficult or they're not dangerous. But I will tell you, friend, these, these Goliaths in your life, the, the fight is worth it. You must fight. You can't just give up on it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Colossians 1, 29 says, For this I toil. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I will tell you, even as I say this, I know that the Holy Spirit is identifying something in your heart and in your mind and in your life that you have to get a hold of. You know what it is. I don't even have to tell you what it is. If I say right now, the Holy Spirit wants you to focus on this Goliath in your life, it goes... You know exactly what it is, man. Know exactly what that Goliath is that you have to address. Some sort of sin. Something you need to start doing. Something you need to stop doing. But here's the problem though, is that you have got to get in the fight. Man, it's worth the fight. Because here, here's what happens with these Goliaths in your life. If, if you don't address them, if you don't engage with them, if you don't get in this fight with them, Goliaths come in and they take your territory. That's what they do. Verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered with their armies together at battle, and they were at Soko, which belongs to Judah. See, when a Goliath comes into you, if you don't know what Judah is, that's Israel. When a Goliath comes into your life, they take more than you thought that they were going to take. They stay longer than you intended. You think it's not a big deal, and next thing you know, they've taken your territory and you've changed. The Goliath, the, the, the Philistines and Goliath never should have taken the land of Judah. But they, they, they weren't paying attention. So little by little, there's like, do, 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 just kind of take over. The next thing you know, Philistines own the territory. It's, it's kind of like when you have a house guest and after a few days, they go from being a guest to a freeloader. Everybody's a guest for three days. After four days, start chipping in or doing some dishes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, we're so glad to take care of you while you're here for the weekend. But it's Monday. It's time for you to go home. If not, you're going to start chipping in or doing some laundry. But not only that, when you have these Goliaths that come into your life and they take some territory, they change you. You become less loving. You become less disciplined. You become less controlled. You become less spiritual. And then you're different. Folks, it's worth the fight. Matthew 4, 8, the devil was talking to Jesus. It says, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And that's what Satan does, except for the fact the land already belonged to Jesus. (laughs) Satan's like, I will give you all this land. Jesus is like, hold on, dude. I think I already own it all. 
Why, why are you offering to me what's mine already? I'm not giving you my territory. You're not able to take that thing over. But Satan wanted to take it. Why? Because that's what the devil does. That's what Goliaths do. They want to take the territory. See, these Goliaths in your life that you're unwilling to address and unwilling to engage with, they scheme against you. Verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Why did they do that? Because they were coming up with a battle plan. They're on one side, Israel's on the other side. And they got a plan like, all right, this is what I'm going to do and this is what it's going to take for us to be able to take over Israel. David said in Psalm 26, Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. See, the goal of Goliath and the goal of Goliaths is simple. Destroy the Israelites. And they had a scheme. They had a plan. It was war. And I want to tell you right now that those those things that are coming against you in your life, they only have one end. They just want to destroy you. They want to get you to stop serving God. They want you to stop having a, a godly family. They want you to stop you from having a Christian worldview. They want to do whatever they can to utterly and completely destroy you. And they're scheming right now in the, in the periphery. You don't see them, but they're scheming. Now here's what's hard though, is that when, when you finally address them and you see them, man, these Goliaths, they look big. They look really big. Verse 4, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, a, a cubit is from the, the crook of your elbow to the end of your fingers. And so the, the commentators say that Goliath could have been anywhere between 6'6 six, six and 9 feet tall. That's that's the difference in height. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm about 6'5". Today, I, I didn't think about it. I just want to wear my boots. But with my boots, I'm probably like, I don't know, 6'7 and some change. And I'm, dude, I'm taller than most when I'm wearing my boots. But can you, but at this height, with this extra 18 or 20, like, I'm, I'm like 8 feet tall. That's, can you imagine facing a guy that big? That's a big, big dude. I would be afraid of that. But whenever you're going through something, it always looks bigger than you thought it would be. Always, no matter what it is, a, a, a proverbial hill that seems too big to climb. You're you're in debt, and you would say, like, man, I, I don't know how I could ever get out of this debt. Or, or you've got health problems that need to be addressed, or weight that needs to be addressed. And you're like, man, it's just too much. Or I'm, I'm too far in sin. I, I've gone too far down the road. I can't turn back. Or addiction that has gone too far, and you're under control. Or there's too much pain, and you're like, pastor, it's just too big. I get it, man. That's what Goliaths do. See, Goliaths protect themselves at all cost. It's funny. Goliath was huge, right? He was a formidable physical foe. He was enormous, but he also had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shackles of bronze. That's hundreds and hundreds of pounds of armament. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. He's so huge, a formidable foe with a bunch of armament on top of that. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. I don't know what that is, but it sounds big. And an iron spearhead that weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. His shield was so big, another guy had to carry it for him. 
See, these Goliaths, they don't go into this, even though they're already big, they come in protecting themselves at whatever cost. Why? Because they want to destroy you. So they've got to protect themselves. There's protection within the Goliath worked in within the scheme so that you have less of a chance to win. It's interesting. Addictions always bring you back to the addiction. They never set you free from something. Because it's built within that Goliath to bring you back to itself. Because the power of that thing needs to protect what it is. It never sets you free. It puts you in bondage. And so what do these proverbial Goliaths do? They taunt you. Verse 8, then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? It's almost like saying, "Like, why did you even come out here, man? You know you're going to lose. You're wasting your time even setting up to fight me. Look at me. I'm a Goliath. I'm huge. I've got protection. I don't even have to fight you. Just bring me one guy. Come at me, bro. Come on. Come at me. Why does it seem as soon as you start to move away from that thing that you need to move away from, the Goliath comes back and taunts you to come back? Dude, I promise you, man, you, you can sit in service, the Holy Spirit will be like, change this, do this, work on this. And as soon as you get out in the parking lot, the, the, the Goliaths will come and do everything that they can to tell you like, oh, you don't want to do that. And this isn't going to work. And you know, the, you got this plan and that's going to fail. They'll do, they'll just taunt you and destroy you in your mind before you even get to the, to start it. Can I get an amen? Amen. These Goliaths, after they taunt you, then they steal your identity. They steal you. You be you. You're not even known as who you were used to be known because that person no longer exists. What did Goliath say? He said, "Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul?" He didn't even call them by their name. He didn't even call them Israel. He says, "You're not even Israel to me, man. You're, I, I, that's not your identity. I tell you your identity." I'm, I'm the Goliath and you're just merely a, a servant of Saul. That's, that's all you are. You start to become your pain. That, that becomes your identity. The people of Israel were under the control of Saul at this point in the story. And, and so they had submitted to Saul. Saul wasn't doing well. And so now he calls it out. He's like, listen, man, this is who you guys are. Now also these Goliaths, when they come in, these proverbial Goliaths, They negotiate with you. They negotiate. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And that's what these Goliaths do. They're like, I'll just serve me for a little while. Just take the weekend off. Like, we'll be fine. Like, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to completely get rid of it. Just keep a little bit on the side and it'll be okay. Work with me here, right? Like, come on, man. Like, hey, right? You know, (laughs) these Goliaths, they intimidate you. Verse 10. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The intimidation only serves one purpose to get you to engage, to get you to become part of the fight. There's like, cause it, cause if you're in the fight, then they're getting you, right? So they're going to do whatever they can to poke and prod and they're like, Oh, come on, come into this. Be a part of this. We're, we're destroying lives. And we want you to be a part of it. And lastly, these Goliaths scare you. Verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And I'm like, yeah, 
Dude, can you imagine like a big nine foot dude covered in armor yelling at you, challenging you to a fight and saying, if you don't win, I'm going to make you my slave. I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm totally scared. Anybody else be scared? Let's y'all like, no, I would not be scared. Like, dude, I would be deathly afraid. And that's what the whole army was afraid, right? Defeat wants to make you its slave. Defeat wants to make you its slave. When you face these Goliaths, it's understandable that you'd be scared. It's scary to face these giants. When, when I stand up and I say, hey man, there's Goliaths in your life that you need to address, that you need to face, that you need to fight. I understand that they're big and I understand that they're scary. I understand that it seems like you're not going to be able to win. I get it. But it's worth the fight. Now my ministry, I've seen many a sermon preached about David and Goliath. Many, man. And again, I don't mean to spoil the story, but David wins, Goliath loses. Okay? And there's a what? Most people know it, right? I mean, this story is so, so powerful that people even that don't go to church and don't believe in God say, oh, we had to fight a Goliath today. Right? They know it. And here's what's interesting though, is that I was, and this is why I love to slow down as I was asking God to give me something out of this story. This fight, this fight with Goliath, it never really should have even happened. Like it's a great story and and people use it and, and, and it's easy sermon fodder. But if Israel had been obedient to what God had asked them to do, they never would have had to fight this Goliath. This battle never should have happened. It happens and it's good and God shows his favor and that's great. But if Israel would have fully defeated the Philistines before this, the battle never would have happened. They wouldn't be dealing with this Goliath of a problem. If they would have gotten rid of the Philistines when God told them to get rid of them. See... Israel is God's chosen people. They were chosen by God. And all the way back in Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, there's a man named Abraham. And God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And part of that land included a land that was filled with, watch this, Philistines. It was filled with Philistines. And God told him back then, he said, hey man, you're going to go in there and you're going to take over this land. If you go to Deuteronomy 1, the Philistines are referenced there. And it talks about go in there, drive those guys out, take out the Philistines. Israel was told to possess the land and they were told you got to push out all the other inhabitants. Why? Because God gave them that land. People say, that's not fair. You know what? Life isn't fair. Okay. When you, when you create people and you make the earth, you can decide what you think is fair. And in this moment, God said to what's fair is I'm giving this land to my people. That's what he said. Joshua 11 describes how Israel pushed out all the enemies and they possessed the land, including the Philistines. But the the interesting part about these Philistines is that they never really went away. Throughout the life of the Israelites, the Philistines just keep coming back and attack the Israelites. If you read through the Bible, there's actually seven large battles that Israel went through with the Philistines. We, We actually won't see the destruction of the Philistines until we get to second Samuel. I think about 18 with King Hezekiah will be there in 2026. Probably <laughs> finally get there. Why, why were the Philistines so bad? Well, the Philistines served the false God Dagon and, and, and it was a material, a materialistic God. And, uh, God had to show the world like 
who the true God was. And Israel was stronger than, than them. And the Philistines kept testing Israel all the time. And sometimes in God's providence and his sovereignty, he would allow Israel to lose to teach them a lesson and they'd be under the power of the Philistines. But all of that never would have happened if they would have destroyed them from the beginning. Here, here, here's, here's a lesson from this story I want you to get. You win every fight you don't have to fight. Did you hear that? Every fight you don't have to fight, you win. And so if Israel had destroyed the Philistines hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they never would have had to deal with Goliath. And they would have won the fight over Goliath with never having to be in the fight of Goliath because they had destroyed his ancestors before it ever got to that point. Does that make sense? It's like that old movie, The Terminator. Have you guys seen that movie? You sinners! It's an R-rated movie. You watched it on TV, right? With all the bad stuff taken out. All the young people are like, Terminator. Like, come on, man. We grew up in an era of, I'll be back. Like, you know? People don't even quote movies anymore, do they? Hasta la vista, baby. Right? I mean, come on. But the, the whole point of that movie was that the world was going to end and a guy from the future had to come back to the present to destroy the guy that caused the destruction of the earth in the future, right? He's like, you know what? Instead of having to fight a world war, why don't we just kill the guy that started it all? That would be a whole lot easier than having to go through fighting a world war. It's it's the parallel I'm drawing here this morning. Again, are you guys picking up what I'm dropping? You mopping up what I'm spilling? They never would have had to fight Goliath if they would have handled the problem early on. There's a sermon in there somewhere. Take care of your sin while you can. Take out the root. Destroy it at all costs. Be obedient to God. Because if you don't kill it, it will come back bigger than you expected. It's going to come back as a Goliath. It's going to come back with all of those things against you. I remember, I remember years ago, my, my cousin had died of cancer and, and she was a beautiful young woman and, and she died probably in her late twenties. Uh, and she left a couple kids. And I remember when I go visit her as she was dying and she had this enormous, and she was always a slender gal and she had this enormous tumor. And, and I remember I asked her, her name was Danica and I said, Danica, what, what happened, man? How did this all start? And I remember she said, uh, when I was waiting tables, she said, I began to have pain in my abdomen and I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't want to go and address it. I, 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 there was a pain, there was something that was wrong. Uh, and I just, I didn't want to go to the doctor and have him tell me that it was cancer. And I didn't want to have to face what I had to face to do what I needed to do. But that's what cancer does, right? I mean, it's like one of the earliest, one of the best things you can do to fight cancer is early detection. Because they, like, they can get some cancer out quicker than once it spreads into your porous organs. But she refused to address it when it was a small problem, when she knew she needed to go to the doctor. And so I ask you, what are you supposed to be being obedient to that you're not being obedient to? It's funny, a pastor can stand up and say, there's something in your life that God wants you to be obedient to. And you know, you're just like, dang it. You know exactly what it is, man. You know exactly what it is. And what aren't you being obedient to? What what roots of discontent do you have in your heart that need to be ripped out? 
What life change do you need to make? What, what sin do you need to stop? What conversation do you have to have? What job change do you need to do? What, what financial change do you need to make? What do you have to change about your health, your living situation? There's a time fix. There's a life fix. And if you don't fix it, it's going to utterly and completely destroy you. It's going to make you its slave. Because if you don't kill it while you can, it will come back as a Goliath. This is, a, this is the only thing that Satan operates in. John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. That's all. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's nothing else. That's all he does. And that's all. Death produces death. It's all that it does. It's always bigger than you expected. It's always wanting more than you wanted to give. It always bargains and coaxes and attacks and taunts and wants you to become its slave. But I admonish you today, friend, to destroy it at the root as soon as you can. Why? Because Galatians 5.9, a little leaven leavens the lump. I love baking bread. I put seven cups of flour and like two teaspoons or, or one tablespoon of uh, yeast. Why? Because the one tablespoon of yeast can spread through the seven cups of flour and the two and a half cups of water and do big, huge things, even though it's very, very small. You put it in there and it spreads. It's like mold in your house. If you don't get it out, it spreads everywhere. It's like weeds in your yard. If you don't get it out, it spreads everywhere. And once you identify that God wants you to destroy something in your life, destroy it. I love people that do drastic things, man. People that say, you know what? I'm making this drastic change in my life. We sold it all. We gave it all. We, we changed this. I quit that. I started this. I got, like, I took every electronic out of my house. We live on candles. I'm like, it's great, you know? There's a, there's a few families at our church that, um, have been trying to get out of debt on the Dave Ramsey plan. They're living in camper trailers on family land to save money. Amen. People say, man, that's pretty drastic. Sure it is because they, they want to actually do something. They're actually right. trying to get out of debt. They're not spending a bunch of money be like, oh, I hope I get out of debt one day. Here's the quickest way to get out of debt. Quit spending your money yeah. and then take that extra money and put it on your debt. But be drastic about it. You gotta be drastic. Sometimes you gotta go Old Testament on stuff. Deuteronomy 7, 2, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them or show mercy to them. Hallelujah. Why do we, why do we show mercy to the enemy? There's no, there's no reason to show mercy to the enemy at all. Every connection, every seed, every nuance, every iteration, every thought, every desire must be destroyed at all costs. You can't just merely entertain it and say like, oh, well, it should be fine. No way. Now, here's part of it, though. It won't be through your power. It's going to be through God's power if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you haven't turned to him in, uh, in repentance and asked for forgiveness of your sins, you don't get the power of God. Okay. You're left out. You didn't want him. You're left out there by your own. Yeah. I'll praise God at the end of this message. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that power. Yeah. And he's going to help you walk through fighting these Goliaths in your life. Second Corinthians 10, four for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God 
for pulling down strongholds. I encourage you to live a narrow life. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. Be encouraged when people say, why are you such a nerd? Praise God, I must be doing something, right? Because I'm not doing what you're doing, man. I'm not watching what you're watching. I'm not listening to what you're listening to. I'm not going where you're going. I'm not believing what you believe in. I'm not allowing you to infiltrate my Christian walk with your nonsense, man. I want nothing to do with what you guys are trying to do in me. No way. I want nothing to do with it. And, and, and again, that's why when people say, oh, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, it's just a stretch. Don't even go there, man. Don't, don't, don't go down. Don't make a covenant with the evil one. Don't do it. Jesus said, Luke 12, 13, 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, you will seek to enter and will not be able. You've got to submit to God. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do not align your life with the world. If you say you're a Christian, that means you believe like a Christian. You don't go along with the world and say, well, you know, I, I really want to make sure I don't offend anybody. So I've got to completely realign my beliefs to make sure no one around me feels uncomfortable. Yeah, Judges 2.2, 2, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? You've got to destroy your pride. I, I really believe that the root of most sin is pride. Why? Because we want people to like us. We want people to approve of us. And so we want to have things that they have and do things that they do. We want to be a part of what they do. Or we have an address we need to address in our lives. And so our pride keeps us from having to address those Goliaths in our lives. We take sin to pour on top of it to cover the guilt and the shame that we have on the inside. Because we're too prideful to admit that we need a savior. It's just pride. The Bible says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And when you find that root church, you have to remove it at the core, at the core. And I will tell you, man, like for me, and and for me, it, it's always the same pride. It's the size of my church and the influence of my ministry. It always is. I don't know a pastor alive that doesn't deal with it. Because there ain't a pastor out there that goes, I want to have the smallest church possible and I want no one to know who I am. No one. They're always like, you want, I'm the next Billy Graham. Like that's, that's what every pastor thinks. And then you get into it and you're just like, man, this is difficult. (laughs) And, and and what, what, what pride does is pride says to a pastor, you know what? Just, just preach what the people want, man. Just compromise. Just tickle their ears a little bit, man. Just, you know, tell them they're going to be rich. Tell them they can live however they want. Tell them over and over how much that they're loved and they don't have to change anything about their lives. The problem is, is not that I believe that because I don't believe that, man. I believe we, it's, people say the whole Bible is love God, love people. And I don't believe that. I believe the whole Bible is God is holy and you're not. Like that's what I believe. I, I, which doesn't mean we don't love God and we don't love people, but I think that the crux of the story is that God is a holy God and, and, and our unholiness needs to be addressed. But that pride, and you fan the flames of that ember and it becomes a hot flaming ball of sin. And once you make a small degree of change, it's no problem to make another one. And then you find yourself in a fight with a big, huge Goliath. That's what you find. 
This is what Tozer said. Man, I love Tozer. I've told you guys many times, read things from dead people. It's a lot better. We who witness and proclaim the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relations agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world. We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, the press, modern education, or the world of sports. This was written decades ago. We are not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not compromise, but an ultimatum. God offers life, but not an improved old life. The life he offers is life out of death. It stands always on the far side of the cross. Whoever would possess it must pass under the rod. He must repudiate himself and concur in God's just sentence against him. What does this mean to the individual, the condemned man who would find life in Christ Jesus? How can this theology be translated into life? Simply, he must repent and believe. He must forsake his sins and then go on to forsake himself. Let him cover nothing, defend nothing, excuse nothing. Let him not seek to make terms with God, but let him bow his head before the stroke of God's stern displeasure and acknowledge himself worthy to die. Having done this, let him gaze with simple trust upon the risen Savior, and from him will come life and rebirth and cleansing power. The cross that ended the earthly life of Jesus now puts an end to the sinner, and the power that raised Christ from the dead now raises him to new life with Christ. Man, I would rather just destroy Goliath's father before he was ever born. That's what I would do. Let me go and kill his great-great-grandfather. I don't even want to be in a fight with Goliath. Folks, God has intended you to live a peculiar life for him that would confound the wisdom of the wise. They were never meant to understand you at all. And that living for God is an all or nothing proposition. 1 Peter 5.8, be watchful. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Romans 8.6, set your mind on the spirit. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Yes, God will fight my battles. Yes, God will deliver me. Yes, God is powerful. But do I have to make so much extra work for him? Do I have to create situations for him to have to deliver me from? Or would it be better if I just dealt with it before it got too far out of hand and destroyed the Goliath before I had to get in a fight? Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're sitting here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And it's really quite simple. Either you're living for Jesus or you're not. If you've given your heart to him or you haven't, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never asked for forgiveness of your sins. Today is your day. Today is your day of new life where you make a complete total change and redirect where you say, you know what, God, I'm done living for myself. I need your forgiveness and I want to live for you. And if you've never made that decision today, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that wants to do that for the first time today? We want to pray with you. Hand held high. Now for us, and you know what that Goliath is. Man, just get it at the root. Quit waiting for it to get so big that, that man, you need a whole, like, 
you know what the little seed is, just pull it out. God, we pray today. God, as you've revealed those things inside of us, those actions that need to change. Father, with your help, with your power, with your grace, God, we know that we can do it and we need your help. But God, give us your strength to be able to address it, God. You give us the the, the, the the free will on this earth to walk and move and speak and do what we do. And so we need your help to direct us and guide us and help us as we take care of these seeds in our life. Help us to destroy it before it becomes a Goliath. Father, we praise you, we thank you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.